0: The Virtual CMO Podcast is sponsored by the Strategic Marketing Consulting Services of the 5 Echelon Group. If you'd like to work directly with the 5 Echelon Group and receive personal coaching and support to optimize your business, enhance your marketing effectiveness, and grow your revenue, visit fiveechelon.com to learn more and schedule a free consultation. Welcome to the Virtual CMO Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Dickman. In this podcast, we have conversations with marketing professionals who share the strategies, tactics and mindset you can use to improve the effectiveness of your marketing activities and grow your business. This week, I'm excited to welcome Jack Sweeney to the program. Jack is the host and producer of the CFO Thought Leader, a podcast featuring interviews with finance leaders who are driving change within their organization. He is the Managing Director of Middle Market Executive, the leader in audio on-demand content for the Middle Market C-suite. With a background of more than 20 years in print and online journalism, Jack has written extensively about finance, management consulting, information technology, and public policy. He is the former editor-in-chief of Business Finance Magazine and the founding editor of Consulting Magazine. Today, we're going to have an interesting discussion talking about how the role of the CFO interacts with marketing. Jack, welcome to the Virtual CMO Podcast. I'm so glad you could join us today. Eric, thank you for having me. This is a great, great opportunity. Appreciate it. Yeah, this is fun because uh, we're recording this at the end of 2020. What a crazy year it has been. And I think it's interesting because we're going to get a chance to talk about something we don't always get a chance to talk about on this show, which is the relationship between different branches, if you will, of the business.
1: Maybe if we could just start out, share with the audience a little bit of your background. Well, certainly. Well, I entered the professional world as a journalist in the late 1980s, and I was a tech reporter. And back then, there was no internet or Ah, uh, no Amazon. So it was about computer dealers on the corner, and uh, I began writing about them. It was fun. It was exciting, even. Uh, and then I went up the food chain, and I began writing about uh, systems integrators and large government contractors. And uh, we launched a magazine uh, where I launched a couple of magazines over my career. But the first magazine I launched was with the Washington Post companies. It was known as Integration Management. I just mention that it was for the Washington Post was interested in supplying information products to many of the companies in its backyard. So that was Northern Virginia and the Beltway. And so that magazine was tailored from there for them. And from there I went and uh, a group of entrepreneurs were starting up a magazine for management consultants. And I got to be editor of a magazine called Consulting. Loved writing about management consulting. Was there for uh, roughly seven years as its editor-in-chief. And after that, I jumped to Penton Media in New York, where they had just acquired a a magazine called Business Finance. And we were going to help roll out all sorts of digital offerings for business finance. And I'm kind of smiling because, well, it wasn't uh, a great experience in that fact that print dollars started evaporating so quickly. But it did put me on this path to my current podcast, CFO Thought Leader. And I stayed in the finance realm as I started to think about what type of information product I could serve this same community with. But of course, I had to do that on my own. But anyway, that's how I found you uh, in this podcasting land. Well, and
0: it's great to talk to a fellow podcaster, because I think one of the beauties of podcasting is that we all can serve different niche audiences. And there are so many. And by being able to provide content specific for a niche, you can really serve that audience well. And We get today to cross niches, if you will, and talk about the intersection really of two branches of the business, which is really the finance side and the marketing side. Let's just start out with sort of an overview of 2020 and in your conversations with CFOs, what has been some of the feedback? Clearly business has changed. There've been a lot of
1: concerns, but what kinds of things are you hearing from the CFO's office? One of the dynamics that's been underway in the CFO office for some time is that the role has been broadening. So finance leaders are playing a much larger role than they did, say, 20 years ago. And, of course, if you went to any uh, finance conference in the last two decades, you'd likely see uh, a presentation on the changing role of the CFO what it translates into in the current environment is they're playing a much bigger role with their HR function, with their sales function and with their marketing function at no other time. I think COVID has really uh, allowed CFOs to sort of uh, build those relationships and make sure they're being nurtured. And there's a lot of reasons why the finance role has broadened, has and data is a part of it. As we know, uh, marketing data has transformed that function in such a meaningful way. And the same has happened with finance and how it connects with these other functions. And I know that's something we'll we'll be talking about, how finance has looked to assist marketing and help marketing understand better, how to make better decisions. And again, that's a role finance leaders like to play throughout the organization but particularly with marketing.
0: I love the way that you frame that in that it's not an adversarial role. I think we talk a lot in marketing about being a cost center. We spend money in order to make money, but we're certainly spending the company's money to do that. But that doesn't mean that the relationship between the marketing side of the house and the finance side of the house has to be an adversarial relationship. And it's interesting the way that you phrase that in, how a CFO or the head of of the finance side of the business can really be there to assist marketing in making good financial decisions and how best to spend those dollars.
1: And this can be pretty tricky. I mean, in large organizations, finance has been embedding financial analysts in different functions to assist the general manager and the business leader of that function, that area of the business. Now, in smaller organizations, finance leaders have been able to get greater visibility through so many of the applications and the data that, that's being collected throughout the organization today. They have a better sense of what's happening more than ever, any other time. So part of what I've been asking finance leaders, uh, part of our regular dialogue, first, I want to understand how they look at the business. So what are your financial metrics? But then I ask for those, what are the non-financial metrics that you're paying attention to? And what's interesting is there's sort of this ego, for less of a better word, where they're coming forward and they, ha- they have a new metric that they've discovered. And very often it's related to marketing or sales. And again, fi- finance today, nothing cites a finance leader more than when they can explain to you their sales funnel or what's contributing to helping the sale get through the funnel and the marketing role. Turn back the clock. This was not a dialogue they would have been having 10 years ago, but there are a lot of technology assisting them. And I think at first, you talked about the adversarial role. Of course, no one wants finance looking over their shoulder. No one wants finance saying no. You want finance to help make better business decisions. And most finance leaders are right there. They really want to understand why these marketing dollars are being spent and how we can see, you know, the payoff. Well, it's interesting that that you
0: say it that way too, because, well, there are a couple of things that you mentioned here. One is is the tools. And I think certainly from a marketing perspective, we've seen with the advent of, you know, the marketing automation platforms and the ability to track people throughout that buyer's journey into that sales funnel that you're talking about, good organizations have a much better understanding of how their marketing dollars are working on their behalf. But I also think it's interesting that when you talk about the payback for a marketing spend, one of the challenges that marketers often face is that an investment today doesn't necessarily yield a result tomorrow. It could be a month from now, three months from now, six months from now. And for finance people, I think there's a perception that it's month to month, quarter to quarter. They want to see very clear results quickly. Do you think that's accurate? Do you think from your conversations, are they willing
1: to give marketing time to work? Yeah. So I think that's where the relationship building uh, has to come into place. By that, I mean, uh, there needs to be an ongoing uh, discussion with the CMO, with the top marketing executives. And there needs to be a relationship. And I think in the past, again, finance leaders were isolated. And this is why I I enjoy producing CFO Thought Leader, because I think it's a piece of content that's helping finance leaders build those relationships with other functional areas by better explaining how they view their role. Very often I'll ask, so there's a particular number in the organization that you think needs to be more top of mind, or people aren't paying attention to, how do you bring that visibility to it? And of course, there are several ways to do that. There's, You might just, at, at the start of a meeting, <laughs> write it on the whiteboard and put a circle around it and ask, how do we get more people aware of this number? And it might be your net promoter score. It could be any any number that's impacting the organization. It might be a cost number. So how do finance Leaders manage and lead. How do you do that? And it's changing how finance leaders lead. They're uh, learning how to be more collaborative. And it begins with forming that relationship with marketing and establishing that trust where I understand you've explained to me why we're not going to have the visibility we would like over the next 90 days into this investment. Uh, But in the next 20 days that follow, we should be able to make some judgment calls, which we always have to make. We can't just continue to invest.
0: I'm a huge fan of HubSpot as a company. And one of the things their CEO often talks about is this idea of transparency and that within that organization, really all the information about how the company is doing is available to the employees as long as it doesn't violate some SEC rule about confidentiality or whatnot. But there's this idea that when people understand how a company is doing, what the metrics are that they're all working towards, what are the numbers that they want to hit? You know, in your example of putting things up on the whiteboard so that people can see what the goals are to me, that seems like the way companies should be, they should be more transparent about that. But oftentimes numbers have been held very tight to the vest, if you will. Do you see a change in CFOs wanting to be more transparent within the organization that they find that that's actually more helpful when employees understand the numbers and, and what targets they're actually shooting for?
1: There is an evolution underway in terms of transparency and data and the visibility we're all enjoying in our professional lives today, I think has been growing steadily. Now, certain finance leaders run across the spectrum. There are There's radical transparency, where it's fascinating to see the results and how those organizations are being managed, where employees even get to see salaries and pay levels and what have you. And then there's uh, somewhere else along the spectrum might be a little more conservative in terms of those types of numbers being uh, served up or visible at any given time. But different finance leaders adapt the management the board, there's lots of stakeholders involved in these types of decisions sometimes, but the push towards greater transparency is underway. And organizations, without a doubt, I think, by and large, are are more transparent than they were 10 years ago, for sure.
0: I'm sure in your conversations, you talk to a mix of businesses that are both public and privately held. What do you see as Obviously there's disclosure requirements and whatnot for public companies, right? But in terms of how companies are managed, do you see private companies willing to take more risks, willing to take more investments than public companies? Or is is that really not a differentiator? I mean, are there any broad statements you can make about conversations of a public company versus private?
1: Well, that's an interesting debate that's been going on for some time now. And there has been something of a a drought in the IPO world until very recently. We've heard quite a bit about IPOs, but very quickly, finance leaders would tell you they enjoy a good deal of strategic bandwidth uh, in a private company today. They are able to uh, take on certain initiatives or spend money in certain ways that perhaps if they were publicly held, it would not uh, be convenient. So, I would tell you that meanwhile if you're going to be moving into the deal making mode, if you you want to be liquid and you want to grow your company, there are certainly perks to being public still. However, I do ask the question very frequently when a new CFO comes into a, a role. I might ask, "Would you rather be uh, would you rather be private today?" and uh, very often they'll say, "Oh yes, I'd rather be private." So it's not. uh, And again, that's largely smaller companies. I think at times companies may go public too early. If there's a mistake, it's going public too early. And they didn't understand how restrictive and how it could constrain the company when it most wants to grow and get to the next threshold. It's a debate that's still going on and you can have really strong ideas on both sides.
0: Hey, it's Eric here, and we'll be right back to the podcast. But first, are you ready to grow, scale, and take your marketing to the next level? If so, the five echelon groups virtual CMO consulting service may be a great fit for you. We can help build a strategic marketing plan for your business and manage its execution step by step. We'll focus on areas like how to attract more leads, how to create compelling messaging that resonates with your ideal customers how to strategically package and position your products and services, how to increase lead conversion, improve your margins, and scale your business. To find out more about our consulting offerings and schedule a consultation, go to five echelon.com and click on services. Now back to the podcast. We've just gone through this election cycle here in the States. Obviously there's going to be a new administration. There's going to be some changes Do you think by and large businesses are excited about what they see coming in the next four years or from a finance perspective, do you think they're looking towards more regulation, uh, more constraints on on what they can do? Has this been a, a, a topic of conversation?
1: It is. I think uh, the topic that we've been frequently touching on is how the current environment, the pandemic, has really moved the needle on so many strategic initiatives. The fact and and the phrase you continue to hear is that COVID's been an accelerant. If there were trends uh, that were sort of just surfacing, they've moved five years forward. Um, So you see a lot of companies taking the initiative and, and placing larger bets on some of the strategic initiatives they believed would serve customers five years into the future. They're now thinking that could be, you know, 2022. So that's the overriding in, in terms of uh trend, the what's happening in the, in big tech with some of the regulatory uh, challenges that it looks like are coming down in the, the next uh, 12 months should be interesting. I think right now, most of our finance leader guests are really just observing and and watching closely. But I think they are agreed that as far as big tech is concerned, they're going to be some greater scrutiny. I think that's interesting because what you've said is a little bit
0: counterintuitive, or at least what we've seen on the news, that some things are accelerating. I think From a marketing perspective, we've certainly seen some pullback, right, in terms of what people are spending on, not really sure of the business climate, unsure of where to make their bets. We've seen that people have been saving more money. But that yet we're having a big holiday uh, shopping season as people are buying things online because they didn't spend money on vacations and whatnot. So there's a lot of behavior that's just outside what people have expected the norm to be. And I think that scared some marketers, some companies' marketing programs at least, away from placing any big bets. But you're saying, on the other hand, companies are using this time to really accelerate some of maybe the infrastructure changes that they need to make uh, within their companies yeah. uh, because of the changes brought on by COVID. So it's it's really two sides of a coin, right? Pull back in some areas and
1: acceleration in others. Yeah, no. And in fact, I should have mentioned, and you're, you're correct, uh, cash is top of mind for, for most of the CFOs we're speaking to and cash management. And where they are investing is, yes, it is in that technology infrastructure. They understand that people are using technology today, digital communications technology in particular, more than ever in the comfort levels there. So they are making more investment in tools, technology tools, and how to do business in remote environments, very aggressively, many of them. When you
0: talk about uh, small companies versus larger companies, There is typically, even in a very small company, the role uh, of an accountant or an accounting team to manage the books. But when you start to talk about something to the extent of a CFO or somebody who is really responsible for a finance function, it's more than just keeping the books it's guiding the company's strategy. So when you talk to some of these smaller companies, do you think some wait too long to bring on that role to have that active Mm -hmm. financial management and planning and they just are stuck in sort of an accounting
1: function? Does that question make sense? Oh, absolutely. And you're talking about one of the biggest challenges a small to medium-sized business has is wh- making a good CFO hire, making the right CFO hire. And it's hard to do. And, and again, there's a saying among finance leaders and senior finance executives that to become a CFO, you already have to be a CFO. And it's, very, it's a hard step to take uh, to get into the C-suite. Many will do it gradually inside of a company. So they'll graduate from controller to uh, either a senior vice president of finance and then into a CFO role or some other steps often between the two. But to your point, I think it's got to be a chemistry as well with the CEO. Very often, we're we're talking often about the founder-led company. Uh, comes to that threshold of growth where they have to step beyond it. And often, uh, a finance leader is what marks that threshold. We need another C-suite leader. Let's say that founder's name is Max. To match Max's visionary mindset, we need a financial mindset. If you're going to begin raising capital and educating the banking community about the vision, of the company. Max is going to want a competent seasoned finance executive beside them as that discussion takes place. Meanwhile, inside your financial functions, you may have outsourced accounting up to a certain date and time. And now you have to bring those processes in-house as you begin to raise capital. And you're, you again, it, it, the company just becomes so much more complex as you serve customers as you create an HR function and serve your employees, who's going to make these hires along with the CEO? And often uh, a CFO, someone who's trusted within the organization, a C-suite trusted partner is what's required. Yeah,
0: that trust on the executive team is so important. I've seen it firsthand many times. Founders They typically have a lot of control and bringing these other C-suite executives in means giving up some of that control. And sometimes that's not an easy process for a company to go through, but bringing in people who are real experts in their field, who can help guide the company to the next level of growth is so important for so many companies. As we're nearing the end of our our show here, I wanted to get your comments on one last thing. We were talking about it a little bit in the pre-call, but- the previous episode of the show, we had on a content marketing expert who was talking about the power of content marketing, and you said something very interesting about the language that the CFOs use. I wonder if you could expand on that again for the audience.
1: Yeah, I was explaining that, and I think his name was Liam. It was a yes, content sir. marketer. Liam Carnahan, yes. Yeah, and I, I was mentioning, I, I thought it was interesting. I, by the way, I want to be a digital Nomad. I want to live in Sydney. I want to come back here. I've got two uh, two uh, digital nomad college students living with me right now. So I, I, maybe I can't become one. But yeah, I can be a podcaster. But no, to your point, Liam was talking about uh, content marketing, and I was thinking that very often B two B CFOs really are their company's best content marketers, and there's a simple reason for that. They Their mother tongue is finance and they connect with other finance leaders, other CFOs of other B2B companies frequently at events. And they're, of course, talking about accounting and finance, solving, you know, sharing best practices and building relationships. Now, that's their home ground. That's their turf. And, uh, you know, there isn't another C-suite executive really that has that reach. Into the other C-suites. And as uh, Liam said better than I, content marketing is you know you're not selling directly. you're not speaking of your offerings. you're in a related area. And that's what that's what CFOs are. CFOs are representing their company, but they're the finance leader, so they can speak about finance and recapitalizations and new uh, accounting tools that they might be using and form those relationships with other C-suite executives and other businesses. So they're brilliant content marketers. (laughs) Yeah, I I love the way you frame that.
0: I think that's a language that we as marketers can really understand. And they may be speaking a slightly different language, but still communicating very similar principles. So I love that. Now I'm I'm curious to know what's
1: ahead in 2021 for the CFO Thought Leader. What do you have planned? We're looking forward To another interesting season, as you might know, uh, we interview both large uh, enterprise CFOs and startups. We have this span of finance leaders, and yet they have so much in common and nothing in common at times. And the challenge I face and you face, I'm sure, is with finance leaders, I want them to talk about themselves to engage others. And finance leaders tend to be very guarded. Traditionally, their communication is really the earnings call where you never say anything, you know, you don't need to say. Right. right. And here I am trying to say, no, share an experience. Where were you? Who did that? What was that? And, and, and of course, it, it's not their comfort zone. Um, but to build relationships, CFOs have to move out of their comfort zone and talk to the CMO about things CMOs share in common and it might not be accounting or finance. So that's what I think moving into next year, I want to do a better job of preparing CFOs to come on the podcast and make them feel comfortable about telling those types of stories. So that's sort of number one on my list.
0: Oh, that's great. I think you've got some interesting episodes in store there as you tried to get this kind of information out of some sometimes reluctant speakers. That'll be good. Jack, this has been really interesting because I think it's like I said at the beginning, this is a topic that we don't always uh, hit on very hard on the marketing world. But it's so important to have those relationships with the other areas of the business, especially the finance side of the house. Where can people find more about you, the podcast and your website uh, on the internet?
1: Well, thanks, Eric. Yes, we're at CFOThoughtLeader.com. The podcast is CFO Thought Leader. And we just came out with our CFO Yearbook 2021, which is currently on Amazon, where I profile 100 of the finance leaders we spoke to in the last 12 months. They each get a page, and it's something we do annually now. So I just came out in time of Christmas. So time for the holidays. (laughs) Perfect timing, then. Well, that's great.
0: I will make sure that we have all of that linked up in the show notes so that people can find uh, not only you, but the, the podcast and check it out and exciting things coming in 2021. And I'm sure you've got a great lineup of guests as well. So we'll be sure to check that out. Thanks so much for spending
1: time with us today. Eric, thank you. I love this. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Virtual CMO Podcast. For more episodes... Go to fiveechelon.com slash podcast to subscribe through your podcast player of choice. And if you'd like to develop consistent lead flow and a highly effective marketing strategy, visit fiveechelon.com to learn more about our virtual CMO consulting services.